HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to Meet in 3. This week, we're taking a quick break from our trade series to share a new show with you. I'm so excited to have our newest HRN host joining us. Please welcome Louisa Kasdan. Hi, Louisa. Hey, Katie. So we are so thrilled that your new show, Let's Talk About Food, has joined the Heritage Radio Network airwaves. Um, Could you please give us a quick introduction to the show and what it's all about? Well, the show is all about stories about food. And I got the idea because for about the last 10 years, we've been doing live events. And at our live events, we've been encouraging people to tell us about food. Um, We've done it in uh, Copley Square in Boston in a big open-air booth. We did it at the American Museum of Natural History. We did it at Stone Barns in New York. And one of the things I discovered is when people talk in the first person about food, they get to a place of candor and authenticity and humor that I don't think any other topic would bring back. So I decided that what I wanted to do was to take this into a podcast. We started doing the podcast as a live event, kind of stand-up-ish in um, in, uh, bars and auditoriums and things like that. And of course, life has changed. Indeed. So um, the show is new to HRN during the pandemic. And Louisa, you are in Boston. And um, let's talk about what that has meant, because you have this archival tape of in-person events, right? But um, you're still gathering stories. So what has that process looked like? Well, it's been really interesting, because there is a different kind of energy that happens when people are standing up in a mic in front of people. But what we've done is we have been kind of FedExing little digital mics all over the country, and we've been doing one-on-one, or quite honestly, two-on-one interviews with people who have wonderful stories to tell. So while we don't have the um, the entire context of people listening face-to-face, we are able to get these great stories. And in a way, they're a little bit more reflective less the pressure of time and performance. So I think they're very good, and I'm quite happy with it. When the world returns to normal, I hope we'll be able to start doing our live events again. I can't wait to go to one. So, Louisa, what kind of stories are you looking for with Let's Talk About Food, and um, how can people send their ideas to you? 
I'm really looking for anybody who's a good storyteller, who finds themselves either entertained or employed or truly moved by food. We have stories from people who are professionals in the field, but we also have stories from people who are nowhere near the world of cooking and food and honestly are kind of stymied when they put a tea kettle on to boil. So I would love people who have a story, who think they have something to share, about either the joys of food, the frustrations of food, the love of food, uh, to email us at info at letstalkaboutfood.com or simply go to our website, letstalkaboutfood.com. There's instructions there about how to load a preview of your story. And we'd love to hear from you. So we have two stories to share with our Meet and Three audience today, um, both uh, stories of women chefs and Louisa, could you tell us why you chose these two stories to share with our audience today? Well, the first story is a fantastic chef. She's from Boston, but she's known all over the country, Lydia Shire. And she was one of the first women chefs who really, really gained national prominence. The thing about Lydia is it's hard to get her to calm down and just tell her story. And when she did, I found her story so funny, but honestly so revealing of who she is and how she came to be so successful as a chef. And it touched me. It just touched me. And it entertained me. It's very funny. And tell us about the second story that we'll hear today. Our second story is another woman who's a great chef and also great writer and editor, Annie Copps. Annie, among other things, was the food editor of Boston Magazine and the food editor of Yankee Magazine, and she is a very funny person. However, the story that she told, although it is funny, it's incredibly revealing about how a single person navigates through the world. And it touched me enormously because I completely understand it as different from my own life. Um, I've been married for a long time. I've never really thought about Valentine's Day in the context of Singles Awareness Day. And that's what she talks about. Thank you so much. So we're going to roll into this first story by Lydia Shire. And just a reminder, don't forget to subscribe to Let's Talk About Food anywhere you get your podcasts. Let's roll. Thank you very much. Can you hear me? So I love to cook. I was always cooking. That was my entertainment when I had three children. That's what I would do. That would, you know, make me happy every day. And so my husband worked for a theater company, and I was cooking dinner for his secretary and her husband, Bob. So anyway, I was at the supermarket. We had a babysitter for the three children, And I'm going up and down the aisles in the supermarket with my husband. I'm thinking about this dinner I'm cooking the next night. And my husband said, Lydia, I have something to tell you. And I said, what? And he said to me, well, I'm leaving you. I'm in love with Jenny, his secretary. And just so you know, I have never loved you. So I looked at him and I said, oh, does that mean dinner's off? (laughs) And, And that is the truth because it was, so I had to go and put everything back in the, you know, it was a crazy night. And that night he moved down to the couch and that was it. And I moved to my mother's house 
And I got a job at Paul's Mall, the jazz workshop, and I became a cocktail waitress at night. And I decided I wanted to work in a restaurant. So Maison Robert was opening, and I said, all right, I'm going to nail this job no matter what it takes. You know, because I had no restaurant experience. So I had a book, and it had a recipe for a seven-layer, very thin-layer cake with buttercream frosting, a real French buttercream frosting. So I thought I would go to my interview with a cake. (laughs) And it was in the summer, and this was in 1971, and I had to order an air-conditioned cab, and believe it or not, back then there were some, but not all. So I did. I ordered an air-conditioned cab. But of course, when I made the buttercream, it curdled. I don't know who's made buttercream here before, but it's a tricky animal. And I curdled it, and I wasn't knowledgeable enough to put it back together again, so I had to make the whole thing over again. Of course, now I know how to put it back together. (laughs) So I made it there. The cake was beautiful. I walked into Maison Robert and handed it to Roger Martel, who is from Marseille in France. And he just looked at me, and he said, yeah, you have the job. (laughs) And, you know, I mean, I think... I think that should be a good lesson for many people. I think you have to stand out in some way. So anyway, I went to Maison Robert. It's then that I met Julia Child. I rose through the ranks and I became the chef of the fancy dining room. And Julia, she suggested that I go to the Harvest restaurant and be the chef. So she got me a job there. And um, I spent nine months there, and I failed. It was the first job that I ever failed. And that was because I let two cooks there get at me. They would make fun of me every day. They would say bad things. It was awful. And one day, I had had it. And I got in my boyfriend's car, and I said, I can't go back in there. I have to leave. I quit that day. But what happened is I found a new voice in myself, and to this day, it's not a problem. I simply tell people in a nice way if there's an issue, and um, we go on. But I suppose my message in this is that it's okay to fail. I mean, I surely did, but I kind of rose above that. Bebo was my first restaurant that I had ever opened, And I think we had the first true bar food menu. And I wanted to make scallion pancakes because there was this little dive restaurant in Boston, in Chinatown, and they made the best scallion pancakes. So my Chinese friend made an appointment for me to visit the chef who was from northern China to get the recipe. So I arrived at 12. And my girlfriend wasn't there, so I knocked on the door, and he let me in. And, you know, of course, I was just smiling because I couldn't converse with him. And right away, he came over to me, and he started putting his hands on me and trying to kiss me. And, you know, I keep looking out the door to see if Bick has arrived, you know, because I don't know what to do. This guy is pawing me. 
So I say to myself, I have to make a decision. Do I want the recipe? <laughs> or do I care if he feels me up? So I said, okay, I don't care. I want the recipe. <laughs> so he was, you know, feeling me up, kissing me, smothering me. And I'm just standing there waiting for Big to come. Finally, she came, so I was saved, but just barely. Um, so I can honestly say I love what I do, and I'm very fortunate that my youngest son, Alex, you know, he's in the restaurant business. He is the co-chef at Scampo. He's an amazing cook. And I just look forward to many years cooking, and especially cooking with him. This has been very fun. And uh, thank you for listening. We'll be right back with more of this preview of Let's Talk About Food on Meet and 3 after a short break. Hi, I'm Lisa Held, a food and agriculture journalist and the host of The Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. I know it's difficult to find reliable information on where your food comes from and how that relates to the issues you care about, like the climate crisis, racial justice, and health. With Peeled, my new Substack newsletter, I'm going to make it easier for you. At Peeled, we'll pull back every story's shiny outer layer and go straight to the core. Each week, I'll send you an email with original reporting and expert analysis. I'll make it interesting, I promise. And together, we'll get better at making delicious, healthy choices that align with our values. Subscribe at peeled.substack.com. And we're back to Meet in 3. This is our preview of Let's Talk About Food. Our second story is one that is very timely as we start to look ahead towards Valentine's Day. Please welcome Annie Copps. I have spent most of my life as a single person. What's that? It's good? Okay, thank you. And I'm mostly okay with that. Those of you who are coupled, I think you're mostly okay with, with your situation. It's sort of Valentine's time of year, right? And that's really a, a couple's thing, isn't it? And I have had some nice Valentine's Day where I've been part of a couple and gone to a fancy restaurant and had a fantastic meal, you know, and really enjoyed myself. And and I've been loved by some great men. And I don't know if I've actually really fallen in love, but I've loved some some nice men. But Valentine's Day is is a tough one sometimes for single people. And I've had some good Valentine's Day as a single person, but I've had some some clunker Valentine's Days um, as a single person. And there was one that was particularly bad. It was a Valentine's Day about 20 years ago, and Valentine's Day fell on a Saturday night. And technically, it wasn't the Valentine's Day that was so bad. I made the very big mistake of um, making plans for brunch the next day. (laughs) And I arrived early, which was a mistake, and I learned not to be early since that day. So I got there early. I knew the waitstaff pretty well, but I sat at the bar waiting for my friends to arrive, and I was chatting with the waitstaff, whom I knew pretty well, and I was observing the room, as one does when they're early and waiting for their friends, and I looked around. There was a post-coital fog (laughs) on the Sunday after uh, St. Valentine's Day. Every person that came into that restaurant had just rolled out of bed, and like they had bedhead, and they were just, like, you know, why would they have jumped out of bed? They, they, they could spend another 20 minutes with the person 
that they had been making love to you all night, like another session in before their brunch plans. And so like the, the room even had that sort of truffly odor to it. You know, what I mean? you know what I'm talking about? Why we love truffles so much? And I knew it. So my friends arrived and we had a great brunch. And maybe you remember the make your own bloody Mary bar? I put that thing to work. I thought that, you know, some Bloody Marys and waffles would help. It didn't. This one really, like, it stained my psyche, and I had that endless loop, something's wrong with you, you don't know how to love, you're so deeply flawed. And it doesn't happen to me very often, but for a couple weeks after that horrible brunch at the East Coast Grill, which, by the way, was not the East Coast Grill's fault. I said, never again. I'm never going to let that happen to me ever again. And that, that year, I actually was dating somebody. And it didn't work out. He went to his high school reunion and met his high school sweetheart. And they're happily married with kids. So <laughs> Valentine's Day, the harbingers started to show up. It was almost a year later, the hearts, the send red roses on NPR to raise money. And Fleens had all kinds of sexy lingerie and, you know, it was not to be ignored. Valentine's Day was going to come, and I wasn't going to let it happen to me again. I wasn't certainly going to brunch, but I decided that I was going to celebrate Valentine's Day, even though I was single. So I found all my close single friends, and I decided I'm going to cook dinner for them. I'm going to celebrate love in a different way. So I planned this great meal, and I decorated my house. I got red and pink and white construction paper and printed paper and I made little hearts and big hearts and I tied white string and I stuck them to the ceiling with scotch tape so that when you walked through the long foyer of that apartment you had to go through this tunnel of hanging hearts. The dinner I had oysters with the beautiful mignonette sauce and I made a special cocktail called the SAD. The, that's the acronym for Singles Awareness Day. <laughs> SAD. Yeah. So I made the SAD cocktail. It had pomegranate and ginger liqueur ginger simple syrup and um, some cranberry juice. It was great. The um, entree, I went kind of old school. Um, Ribeyes, caramelized onions. I thinly sliced the onions and low and slow on those onions. They were delicious. I made roasty potatoes, crunchy, beautifully crispy on one side. Got the Gruyere cheese and got the next layer of potatoes, crunchy on the second side. Roasted wild mushrooms, truffle oil, the real stuff. Not that petroleum, right? This was the expensive stuff. The steaks may or may not have been overcooked um, because the sad cocktail I was telling you about. It wasn't so much that I was drinking them during, but I was, to get the proportions right before my guests arrived, I did, on an empty stomach, have a few too many sads. So the steaks, some were... Most were overcooked, but that, that, was, that was forgiven. But I cooked a meal for my friends whom I love. I made red velvet cake cupcakes for dessert with the buttercream and red, white, and, and pink heart-shaped sprinkles on top of them. And it was a beautiful meal. And I kept up this for a few years. We did this Singles Awareness Day, the sad <laughs> dinner. And I started traveling a lot, and, you know, people got married or they moved away and it was harder and harder to carry on the, the tradition. But what I did learn is that the act of buying food and planning a meal and cooking and serving people you care about is a very nurturing and loving thing to do. And it can be amorous, it can be platonic, it can be maternal, it can be 
brotherly or sisterly. It, but it's a, it's, a, it's a gift that I was able to give to myself and to my friends. And I know that I know how to love and I know that I am loved. And I also know that I know how to cook. And Singles Awareness Day does come out as sad, but there's nothing sad about being single. So thank you. Thank you, Louisa. That's our show. Thanks for listening. Special thanks this week to Louisa Kasdan for sharing this preview of Let's Talk About Food. Meet and Three is produced by Hannah Forden, Matt Patterson, Kat Johnson, Dylan Hoyer, and me, Katie Mosman-Wadler. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. Meet and Three is powered by Simplecast. Meet and Three is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio. And please stay in touch. Whether you have a story idea or would just like to say hey, write us at ideas at meetand3.nyc. That's all spelled out. <laughs>